Uh, I love seeing all the kids up here. Fruit of the Spirit was probably the first verse that both my kids memorized when they were young. And uh, so these are precious things that, that the Christian life would be full of. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and uh, self-control. Now, uh, gentleness and self-control. Now i got to learn the sign language, so Kinsey will have to teach me that at home. But uh, that was beautiful seeing them up there. And uh, a special welcome to Amanda and her family. And it is exciting to have them with us uh, here today. And I'm just excited about how God is going to bless her and bless us through her ministry here. And that is a long answer to prayer. That God has blessed us in that way. This morning we continue our service, our sermon series on find your footing. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, we uh, have used this hiking theme to say that sometimes we can lose our footing. Like especially when you're out on the hiking trail and you're going in the ups and the downs of the trail, a pebble can get under your foot and before you know it, you've fallen on your bum. And, uh, and that's no fun. Now, in the similar way, using the analogy, in our spiritual lives, we've been going through a lot of ups and downs. It's the ups and the downs of life that can feel so topsy-turvy. It can feel like we've lost our footing. And so it's not just the trip and fall that a hiker needs to be aware of. It is also, a hiker also has a second danger to be aware of, and that is storms. Storms can come, and that can make uh, the hiking experience very, uh, very difficult. An experienced hiker by the name of Corey O'Neill wrote a story in Guidepost Magazines, which is a Christian magazine, about a storm that came out of nowhere. He and his family were hiking the John Muir Trail. Now, the John Muir Trail is like on my bucket list. I want to hike this trail someday. It's a beautiful trail. It goes, it goes uh, some 211 miles, and it goes through the Sierra Nevada mountain range, passing through Yosemite and Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Parks. It looks beautiful. Sometimes when I uh, just want a daydream, I just pick, go on the Internet, and I Google pictures of John Muir Trail. It looks beautiful. But for him on that day, it started off, uh, speaking of this guy that writes this article, John, uh, I mean, Corey O'Neill, he he speaks that it started off as a beautiful day, and as they were hiking, there was a storm that came upon them so quickly, almost out of nowhere. And he writes, we almost died out there. We cowered in our tents, arms braced against the poles as 50-mile-an-hour winds and slashing rains threatened to wash us away. When you're going hiking, you don't want to get caught in a storm. And in our world right now, we are in the midst of a storm. It didn't come out of nowhere, but it sure has come upon us quickly. We're in the midst of what we have said is a a moral revolution. It's a storm because people feel so passionately on different sides of a number of different issues. And I made a list. Think of all the things that we've been thinking about lately. At the top of the list right now is abortion and sex and sexuality and gender confusion 
And then uh, just underlie, under the surface, there's always issues of equality and racism and Black Lives Matter and the environment and climate change and the economy and related to the economy, uh, inflation and debt forgiveness. And the list can go on and on and on. And, and I bring all of these things up because we recognize we're thinking about a lot right now. And it's not just political issues. These are not just political issues. They're moral issues because we believe that there is a right and a wrong. And we feel strongly that it should be this way and it should not be this way. Now, I bring all these things up not just to stir the pot, but to acknowledge that all these things that are so unsettled in our society right now can make us feel unset, unsettled in our own hearts. And perhaps you felt that way. As we, as we think about all of these things, you feel fearful or confused or anxious or angry or even hateful. Now, my goal is not to get us all wound up this morning. And my goal is also not to cover all of these subjects in one message as if that was possible. Keep dreaming, right? Uh, this is way too much for us to cover in one message. My goal this morning is to look at God's Word and to discover a couple fundamental ways for helping us to determine what is right and what is wrong. Because if there is a right and a wrong in God's eyes, or even in our own eyes, then we want to have some concrete ways to wrestle with these things. We're going through Isaiah. We started in chapter 40, and today we move on to the second chapter, which is chapter 41. And in Isaiah 41, it's super helpful because Isaiah is challenging the Israelites in this passage to look for evidence of what is right and what is true. And what he's doing here is he's making an argument. And what we're going to try to uh, identify this morning is how does he make his argument? What does he use as arguments, as evidence, as proof for what is right and for what is wrong? He's, he's very upfront with us. He tells us what he's doing. In verse 1, he says, Let them, speaking to the nations, come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. In other words, we're going to make a judgment. We're going to make a decision. We're going to try to decide what is right and what is wrong. Verse 21, he says, Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says, says Jacob's king. Now, specifically, the argument that uh, Isaiah is making here in this passage uh, is who is the true and right God? Is it Israel's God, Yahweh? Or is it the God of metal and stones, the idols of that day? Now, we don't have uh, gods of metal and stone in the same way that they would have in Isaiah's day. But we do have ultimate beliefs and values. And we might even say that these are idols in our day. They're gods with a lowercase g. And Isaiah's time and our time, our day in 2022 is quite different. But the questions are still the same. What is true? What is right? And how will you determine what is true and what is right? You know, I just realized I meant to 
pray for the message before I got started, and I never did. So let's just go before the Lord and ask that he would speak to us as we dig into his words some more. Father God, we're thankful for today. Uh, we're thankful that we have a word, your scriptures, to look at. And uh, God, I always want to start the sermon with prayer because I don't want these just to be my words. I want them to be your words. And so, God, I pray that as we wrestle with these things, some of the topics I've already brought up, uh, you know, we just get fired up. They're difficult. And we pray that you would help us to get our minds around them a little bit more, at least to approach them in the way that you would have us approach them as we try to wrestle with these things in our own lives. So God, I pray that now as we continue to dig into Isaiah chapter uh, 41, that you would speak to us, that you would come and you would meet with us. God, we open ourselves up for you to be our teacher now. And we pray that if I say anything that's not of you, may it just pass to the side. And whatever you would have for us, I pray that it would take root, that it would grow deep into our lives, and that it would bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, Isaiah is going to make some arguments. He makes two specific arguments that we'll highlight. These are the two things that he says that he uses to wrestle with what is true and what is right. The first thing Isaiah asks them to do is he asks the Israelites to look at their experience. And we want to talk about that because all already our radars are up and we're like, experience, just to look at our experience, that's, a, that's an awfully fuzzy way to uh, draw conclusions about right and wrong. But this is where Isaiah starts, and, and so I want to hear what, I want to see what he's doing and uh, try to understand how this might apply to our lives. It, after he says, we're going to come to the place of judgment, in verse 2 he goes on to say, who has stirred up one from the east? calling him in righteousness to his service. He hands nations over to them and subdues kings before them. What he's doing here is he's describing, this is what's happening in your life. He's just kind of recounting the events that they're going through. He turns them to dust with his sword, to wind-blown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed. By a path his feet have traveled before, who has done this and carried it through, calling forth generations from the beginning? Now, here is where Isaiah hits his point. It, uh, and God speaks through him. He says, it is I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. See, what, uh, what God is doing through the prophet here is he's saying, look at what has happened to you. There has been an attack uh, upon, your, uh, upon you. You're in captivity. And now there is a rescue that's coming your, your way. And what he points out is he says, all of this I'm active in. It is I, the Lord, with them in the first and with them in the last. I am he. And what he's doing is he's pointing out that God is behind their experience. And whenever we seek to understand what's going on in our world, we always start instinctively with our own experience. 
We do this subconsciously. We look at our experiences, and we look at the experiences of our loved ones, and we begin to draw conclusions about the way things should be or the way things shouldn't be. It doesn't take a, a whole lot of intentionality. We do that unintentionally. Anyone who says that their morals and their values have not been shaped by their experience and the experience of their loved ones is really not very self-aware. And so this is what we naturally do. What Isaiah challenges the people to do it, uh, comes very unnatural. He challenges the people to see God in what they have experienced. He challenges the people to do the hard work and to take a new, fresh, and hard look at God's hand behind it all. You see, God is the one, Isaiah is saying, that has brought Israel into punishment because he's disciplining them. As a father disciplines his son because he loves his son, God disciplines Israel so that he might turn them back to him. And now God, as he points out here in this passage, is saving them and rescuing them from that captivity to show them his strength and love. Now for us, if we are in the midst of a moral revolution, it is the natural part for us is to get caught up in the cultural currents, to make our determination, this is the way things should be, this is the way things shouldn't be, by what we are experiencing. The challenge that I want us to see in God's Word today, this is a challenge for each of us, is to take a step back and to look at what is happening to us with new, fresh, and uh, do the hard work of seeing God behind the scenes. And so, I'll start, with, I'll start by asking you to, some questions for your own life. In your experience, think about this even as I ask them, in your experience, when you have trusted in the Lord, how have things gone? In your experience, when you have taken God at his word, has God showed himself to be reliable? And when you've stepped out in faith to obey God, not knowing what the future holds, not knowing uh, what's going to come about, did you grow in your faith? Did you experience strength from God's love? And in the lives of those that you know and love, uh, what has been their experience? When they have truly had God in their lives, did they have greater peace and joy or not? Now, sometimes when we're going through the uh, storm, the answers to those questions are not crystal clear. Sometimes it's only after the clouds clear a bit and we look at it in hindsight that we can say, God has been at work the whole time and I couldn't see it in the moment. But here's my challenge to us, each of us, every day, to do the hard work, to take a look. God, where are you at in this or in that? to really look for God at our, in our lives. And my hunch is that if we take a hard, fresh, new look, we will see God at work, even in the midst of the storm. And what is true for us individually is also true for nations, because what we're talking about this morning, and in many ways, is affects us as a nation. God, ha God was at work behind the scenes for the whole nation of Israel. When they obeyed God, he blessed them. When they 
when they disobeyed God, he had to discipline him, discipline them. And in America, as a nation, we have without a doubt been blessed. Amen? We have a lot of freedoms, a lot of prosperity, a lot of blessing. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. We've got plenty of black eyes, but we have been blessed by the Lord. And I believe that, uh, at least in part, a big reason why we've been blessed is because we have sought God in his will. We've been founded on Judeo-Christian values. As a nation, there have been times where we've prayed and sought him, and God has been faithful to bless us. We've sung so many times, God bless America, and he has. When we've sought him, he has turned to us and, and helped us as a country. However, history has shown, and this is where experience comes in again, history has shown that when a country turns away from God and forsakes God's ways, then inevitably and surely they will eventually lose God's blessing and they will lose their quality of life. So again, there is an application here for, Christ, for us as Christians to seek God's will, to seek to understand what, it, 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 what, what is right and wrong from his perspective, and to the best of our abilities in this moral revolution, in this topsy-turvy world, as God enables us and as God calls us to be God's light. We have a responsibility. This is who God has called us to be. And so we look at our experiences. We try to see God in what he is doing in our lives, and we try to see opportunities in our experience to be representatives for God. Isaiah tells the Israelites to look to their experience and to take a new, fresh, hard look to see God as evidence of what is right and what is true. And then Isaiah uh, goes, Isaiah 41, we have a second argument that he gives. The second argument that he gives is, he says that God has given a predictive word. In other words, God said something would happen, and then it happened, and it was proof that, uh, that God is who he says he is. We see this uh, argument being laid out starting in verse 22. First of all, he addresses the idols. He says, tell us, you idols, what is going to happen? In other words, can you predict the future? Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome, what will happen in the end, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that you are gods. Now, FYI, in case you can't read into it, the idols can't do that. They're not able to predict the future. But then uh, God turns to himself, and he says in verse 25, I have stirred up one from the north, and he comes, one from the rising sun who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if, the, as if he were a potter treading on the clay. Who has told of this from the beginning so that we could know or beforehand so we could say he was right. No one, told, uh, no one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. And that then the, this, is, this is the kicker. But I was the first to tell Zion. 
Look, here they are. The they here that he's referring to is the one from the north in verse 25 that is coming and treading on the rulers, bringing uh, Israel's rescue. Look, here they are. I first told Zion that. I gave to Jerusalem a messenger of good news. So let's unpack this because obviously we would have no idea what he's talking about here. But the Israelites would know specifically. Here's what he's referring to. uh, God is saying that the person from the north is Cyrus, the king of Persia, who is coming to be the rescuer uh, for Jerusalem. And that was foretold. The messenger of good news that is referenced here is Ezra, the prophet, who predicted that this would happen a hundred years prior. Ezra 1, 2 through 4 tells us that this is what is happening. Big picture, God, the idols can't predict the future, but God says, I have. I've, sh- I've told you ahead of time what would happen. In the Bible, there are some 1,817 prophecies. I didn't count them, okay? Don't <laughs> I don't have that much time on my hand. But that's what I've read in a book, and I'm trusting this author, that there are 1,817 prophecies, most of which have been fulfilled Uh, many of them with the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. But there are prophecies still yet future, especially around Jesus' second coming and the final judgment. Fulfilled prophecy is the evidence that God knows what he's doing, that he knows what is right and what is wrong. But beyond this, and this is what I want to drive home this morning, beyond this, God's predictive word has a special application for us in 2022, if this is a time of moral revolution. You see, God's predictive word makes it clear that if we follow God's ways, then things will ultimately go well for us. That's a prediction. And if we rebel against him, then things will not go well with us. See, these type of predictions are all over the Bible. For example, Deuteronomy 12, 28. Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you so that it may go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord our God. You see why this is so important for us? I hope you recognize it, that if we are careful to obey God's commands, then it will go well for us and our children. And if we do not obey God's commands, it will not go well for us as a children. And the same could be said for us as a nation. If we obey God's commands, it'll go well for us. If we disobey God's commands, it will not go well for us. It's kind of like going back, this idea of God's predictive word goes back to the storm illustration, right? Because hikers are wise if they pay attention to the weather prediction, the forecast. If you know what the weather's coming, what weather is coming, then you can prepare and make adjustments accordingly. And in the same way, God's word gives us guidance about what will be coming down the road. And we can make adjustments accordingly. We can have his instructions about what is right and true, and we can act accordingly. Now, speaking of a storm, some of you know that I grew up on a farm in the Midwest, and uh, 
And my dad was a farmer. And so we became very dependent on the weather. We needed storms at times because without the rain, the crops would not grow. And, uh, and so here's a funny little story about a farming town that needed a storm. One summer, there was a severe drought in this uh, town. And uh, the crops were dying, and the towns desperately needed a storm. And so the pastor of the town's church decided that he would hold a special prayer meeting to pray for rain. Now, there were two brothers on the edge of town who never came to church. The pastor invited them over and over and over again, but they never came to church. Now, they were farmers, and he, so he thought they might be interested in this prayer meeting for rain. So again, he went and gave them an invitation, and he was thrilled when uh, Bill showed up to the prayer meeting. Wow, Bill, you came! That's wonderful! But where's your brother Bob? And Bill said, uh, this is, uh, Pastor, this is a prayer meeting to pray for rain, right? I thought I'd come... And Bob would stay home to close the, the storm windows. And, uh, and I got a kick out of that. But now that's faith. I'm going to come and pray, and my brother will stay home and pray for, and uh, close the storm windows. Now we're in the midst of a moral storm, and the best thing we can do is pray, right? We need to be praying as a church. We need to be praying individually for our lives, for our church, for our country. We need to pray that we would choose the right path. And there's that hiking theme again. There's a path that leads to life, and there's a path that leads to death. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, uh, is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We as a church hold this verse to be precious. This is part of our vision statement, that we open our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gates. And this is what we want to do as a church. We want to help as many people enter through the narrow gates as possible, knowing that the narrow gate is the harder gate. Following God's word is not the easier path, but it is the path that leads to life. And so that is the path that we want to choose. And if we as a church hold to the promises of God and his truth, then it will go well for us. And if we as individuals and as a family hold to God's truth, and we cling to what is right according to his eyes, it will go well for us. And the same could be said for us as a nation. Now, all of that seems awfully daunting because we have so many things before us right now. As I've said, we've got a lot of issues, abortion, gender, the economy, the environment, uh, and so many more. We could make it, we could, I could go through the list again. Uh, but these are important issues. And I'll just say, as a church, we got to wrestle with these issues. But chances are, I'm not going to be able to address them, uh, a lot of them, from the stage. I hope to. I hope we have sermons in which we dig into some of these things. But I'll just say, a lot of these issues are very deep and very difficult and very heated and emotional. 
And people have lots to say, and they have their own experiences, and they have their own questions. And sermons are not always the best time to deal with all of these things. Because sermons by nature are a one-way conversation. And a lot of these things should be done in two-way conversations, in which we can hear each other, and we can ask questions, and we can express our emotions, and we can pray for one another. Now, that doesn't mean I'm trying to, sh- to get us to shy away from anything. We want to get back to God's truth, and we want to dig in hard. Uh, but it won't always be from the, from the stage. Like, in fact, part of why we have life groups is because this is our opportunity to have good conversations. If you're not in a life group, as Julie did at the beginning this morning, I just want to really encourage you to find a good group in which you can ask your hard questions and to wrestle with these things together. And then, I, and then in the works, over the course of the next uh, several months and, and further out, we're working on discussion days in which we're going to call them hard conversations, in which like before church or after church or maybe during a, a weekday night. But anyway, it's in some sort of forum in which we can have difficult conversations. And we'll bring in someone who has some expertise someone who's strong in their faith and and can lead us in hard conversations. And then let me just say one more thing along these lines before I uh, bring us to our conclusion. And that is that I recognize that sometimes these things can become a crisis of faith. Like sometimes these things can become so big in our minds that we begin to doubt, is God's way the right way? Is God's truth the right way? the right truth. And, uh, and people can lose their faith as they wrestle with these issues because culturally, oftentimes what the Bible has to say is very countercultural. It goes in the exact opposite direction. And so if this turns into a uh, crisis of faith, faith, please come and talk with Pastor Darren or myself or another believer that you really trust that has a good grasp on God's Word, and let's dig into it together, and let's talk about our experiences. None of these things are easy. Isaiah gives us a challenge to look at our experience in a fresh, new, and intensive way to see God in what is happening in our lives. Your experience can be evidence for what is right and true when we find God in it. And then secondly, because we can't stop just with our experience, we also need to look at God's predictive word. Because when our lives are aligned with his word, then it goes down a certain path. If God is the creator of the world, as we talked about last week, and God gives us instructions in his word, like we talked about two weeks ago, so that we can know what is right and true, as we're talking about this week. Isaiah gives these two points of evidence, and then he comes to his conclusion in the last verse. Isaiah 41, verse 9 says, See, they, speaking of the idols, are all false. They're not true. They're not right. Their deeds amount to nothing. The Hebrew word there could be translated nothing, or meaninglessness, or purposelessness. Their images are but wind and confusion. Do any of you hear and see what's going on in our world and sometimes you're just left scratching your head thinking, 
what in the world is going on? What's that person even saying? And not only does it feel like we've thrown the Bible out, we've thrown out common sense at times. We're just left scratching our heads. And I'm not saying the, uh, any particular party. The far right makes head-scratching moves, and the far left makes head-scratching moves. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? The words of Isaiah resonate with me. It's a lot of wind and confusion. It's like blowing all over the place, and you have no idea what is being talked about. However, as Isaiah makes clear, God's ways are meaningful. The idols and the ways of this world are meaningless. God's ways are meaningful. God doesn't just say, do this, don't do that without reason. God doesn't say, believe this and do that willy-nilly. God tells us what is right and true because he loves us. And he wants us to have meaning and purpose and value in our lives. You see, God is worth pursuing. He's worth seeking after. He's worth doing the hard work because we can uh, ground ourselves in the, in the understanding that what he says is right and what he says is true is also what is good for us. That God's going to guide us on the path that leads to life, not to death but to leads to meaning. So his path has meaning for us. And so all of this gives us confidence that we can find our footing. Now, what's the takeaway from today's message? Well, it is that there is a right and wrong. And God knows what is right and true. And that we can seek after God. And it is God's desire to reveal those things to us But here's the biggest takeaway I want to leave with us today, and that is verse 10. I've saved the best for last because verse 10 in chapter 41 of Isaiah is my favorite verse in the whole chapter. In verse 10, he says, So do not not fear. And we talked about how all this in our lives can fill us with fear and anxiety. He says, For do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged or confused, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous, I should use this hand, with my righteous right hand. To speak of God's righteousness is to speak of what is right and true. That God will uphold us with his righteous right hand. That's a promise. That's a predictive word that we can count on. That when we seek him, when we come after him and and seek his truth and seek uh, to do what he says is right, then God will strengthen us and help us. He will uphold us with his righteous right hand. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. As I enter into prayer, Uh, prayer, I'll invite the prayer counselors to come forward and uh, to stand at the front of the sanctuary. During this final song or afterwards, if you'd like to come and receive individual prayer over something, it's a tremendous blessing that we have people that have said, I'll be here. I'd, I'd love to pray for you and with you. And so don't hesitate if there's anything that's stirring in your heart even if you don't have a specific request, but you just think, I want to join with a brother or a sister for a moment to
pray. These prayer counselors would love to do that with you. Father God, we thank you that you are our righteous God. We thank you that uh, just as Isaiah wrestled with the people of Israel to determine who was the true and right God, we understand that you are the true and right God and that you are in control and not just on some far-off throne, which you do reign, but that your reign extends even into our lives right here. God, as we gathered, as we have gathered together today in this sanctuary, we recognize that you are here with us, and we thank you for that. This is a topsy-turvy world with a lot of difficulty right now. There's a lot of just unsettledness because we're dealing with so much. And I know of a lot of people that have lost their footing. They're not grounded in anything meaningful or stable. God, right now, we want to lift up those in our lives that we know are in that boat. We pray for our loved ones that are struggling. We pray for family members that have wandered from you. God, we lift up our friends and our co-workers, our neighbors, that, uh, that we really want to see uh, rely upon you, and they're struggling to do that right now. We pray that you would draw near to them and help them to draw near to you. And God, we just pray also for ourselves that at times when we are filled with anxiety and confusion and uh, fear and even anger, God, we pray that you would help us just to be reminded that you are our God and that you will strengthen us and you will uphold us with your righteous right hand. God, as I am here with so many of my brothers and sisters right now, I, I have looked upon faces this morning and I know that they have gone through difficulty or are going through difficulty. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would uphold them. I pray that you would draw near to them. These are difficult times and we pray for your grace. We pray that you would come and you would strengthen us as your word promises that, it, that you will do. And I pray that you would, as a, uh, that you would strengthen us as a church to be the people of God that you want us to be. I love this church, and I know everyone here loves this church, God, but we need your help. God, we have a mission that you have called us to, to open our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gates. We pray that you would strengthen us to help people to come to know you and to follow uh, along the, and to walk along the path that leads to life and not the one that leads to destruction. And so God, uh, strengthen us to be, to be the church that you have us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.